Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Willie. Nick. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're going to tell you a little bit about what we've been watching. We're going to go through some film news, which is basically just the Oscars this week. Uh, and then we're going to go into a full review of A Good Day to Die Hard, directed by John Moore. Notice I didn't say John Moore's A Good Day to Die Hard because I forgot that's how I normally do it. <laughs> and then uh, we'll maybe have some cheese for thought at the end, kind of tangentially related to Die Hard. So, uh, Willie, what you been watching? I watched uh, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. And then Thin Red Line, back to back. Awesome. It was let, pretty sweet. Let me let me know. Two um, movies that I have not seen before. That's not good, especially on the, Private especially Ryan. Private Ryan. That's that's the one that I'm I'm concerned about with you. <laughs> so odds are, um, faithful listeners will be hearing a Saving Private Ryan review at some point. Yeah. Because that's going to be the Alex list of shame uh, yes. selection. Yes. But no, um, I watched them back to back. Haven't seen either one of them in a while. Um, uh, one of the first the first times I had seen them, um, I certainly preferred Private Ryan. Um, over the two, if I had to, I mean, they're very different movies. Mm-hmm. Saving Private Ryan is very much a, a relatively straightforward story about this group of guys that they have a mission and they it's it's kind of the, the crap they go through on their way to achieve this mission. And Thin Red Line is really kind of all over the place. It's there's a there's a lot more characters in Thin Red Line. Um, there are, just when you think a character is like going to be a main character, sometimes that shifts. And it starts focusing on somebody else. You mean a lot like uh, Adrian Brody being completely cut from the movie? Well, yeah, he's he's in it actually. <laughs> he is. I well, spotted him, but they, he was he supposed was to be the main character, yeah. which didn't happen. Yeah, um, Caviezel winds up really being the the central character. Um, the, both movies are similar in some ways too, though. They they both have a lot of really interesting choices for cameos, um, and even sometimes more than cameos, just you know. Very, very small supporting roles. Are you speaking of Nathan Fillion? Fillion is in Saving <laughs> Private Ryan, which I forgot about. Yeah. Um, actually, Brian Cranston's in Saving Private Ryan, which I forgot about. So is Gary Bertier. Yep. Um, and then I on, forget his real name. <laughs> on top of that, um, with with Thin Red Line, you've got like Travolta's in it, and um, Woody Harrelson's in it. I found it funny that that Ted Danson's in Saving Private Ryan and Woody Harrelson's in uh, Thin Red Line. <laughs> Coincidence. I think not. Um, Paul Giamatti. It's just cool to see these guys pop up. Nolte. Now, a lot of these guys. Clooney. Yeah, the whole the whole nine yards. Yeah, um, a lot of these guys at the time their careers weren't where they are now. So it's yeah. kind of fun seeing them. Certainly like Fillion. I mean. Yeah. Um, and some other guys. It, so that's kind of cool. It was nice to see. Um, I still hold that Saving Private Ryan is the preferable movie. Certainly the more rewatchable movie of the two. But it's. Part of that is 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 Malik, you know what I mean, and mm-hmm. and, and the thing is with with Terrence Malik is that he's a very very acquired taste. Ter- Terrence Malik, the director of the Thin Red Line. Yes, Thin Red Line, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you know he he's done some very interesting stuff. Um, I've liked some of it. I like Thin Red Line overall as a movie. Mm-hmm. I think it meanders a bit too much here and there, um, and I, I really like. Um, I really like his visuals. You know, visually yeah. he's a very very. I mean. He has a really, really amazing eye for for what's beautiful, you know. Even in the nasty, grim stuff of the movie, there's really a beauty to it, and that's very cool. And I think that that's something that he does in this case accomplish better than Spielberg does in his film. But ultimately, Spielberg's movie is more rewarding. They're both two film. very different goals. Very I think, different. In the end. Yeah, they really are. Um, and I think I think they both really 
capture the horror of, of war. I mean, I've never fought in a war, and hopefully I never do. Yeah. But I think they, they have a, certainly uh, the opening scenes of Saving Private Ryan, uh, one of the most brutal. And from what I've heard from, from people who were in World War II and, and have seen the film, very honest depiction of, of what it was like to be, you know, on the battlefields during that time. And it's it's... There's some heartbreaking stuff in both movies, and they're, but they're both. You should see them both because I think they're very cool. They're kind of, they're kind of two sides of the same coin almost. You know what I mean? It's it's, yeah. they really are because they're very different views into, into what, that was like being a soldier and and, <coughs> it, it, they're both definitely worth a watch. Did you double feature them or two different days? No, I watched them back to back. Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah, I did it. It's like six and a half hours of movie. <laughs> it was cool though. It was kind of neat because it was like I, I had the I had the day off. Um, I had nothing to do that day. That'd be a great double feature. I'm envious. And I was really just like, you know what? I, I saw Saving Private Ryan and I watched that, and it's every bit as good as I remember. It might be better actually. Hmm. Weirdly enough, I, I think I appreciate it more now than I did before. Yeah. And um, and then I watched Thin Red Line, and and it was a really cool double feature. It really was. But definitely see both of them. Um, Make it a point to see Saving Private Ryan first, because that's definitely the one that really, really, really hits home, I think, for almost everybody. But Thin Red Line's a cool watch, too, so check that out. Especially for the Woody Harrelson part, because it's, 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 it's equal funny. parts funny, but horrifying at the same time. So <laughs> I've never felt more, like, grossed out, yeah. but at the same time, like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I won't spoil anything, but just okay. check it out. Check them both out. All right. I will. It'll happen. Yeah. I have the Thin Red Line Criterion Blu-ray. Okay. I'm sure it's beautiful on it's Blu-ray. It's insane. It's insane. Cool, cool. Does All it right. have more Adrian Brody? No. Well, that's too bad. <laughs> it has less. <laughs> that's too bad. All right, Nick, what you been watching? Uh, I have continued watching Parks and Rec. It's gone downhill in season four. <laughs> the, curse of, the curse of Beyond season three cannot be avoided, apparently, uh, by... TV comedies, which makes me nervous for Arrested Development now. <laughs> um, it's still good. It, it, it kind of upswung a little bit in the, in the late episode I watched today, but it's uh, it's it's still fun to watch. When do um, um, just out of curiosity, when do Adam Scott and uh, Rob Lowe show up? I know they show up around the same end time. of season two. So it's not their fault that the show no. is okay. no. They actually enhance it. They okay. add very okay. much to the show. I was just curious because I couldn't remember if it was season. They do. They start to get a little bit tired though, um, in season four. Okay. Rashida Jones has no point beyond season three. They are just desperately trying to find plots for her and everything. She kind of comes back in. There's just it's like it's rough to watch sometimes. I'm like, oh, they're just like, and subplot for her, quick go. Well, and hopefully this this is a case. This is one of the rare cases, but I have seen it before where a show dips in quality around that point, but then manages to kind of get its legs back. And because I mean, I think How I Met Your Mother did that. Season, what's the through line in season four? Is it the running for office? Okay, with have you seen Paul Rudd yet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Paul I. Paul Rudd's funny. He's, only, th- he's only been in one episode. That yeah, really I think it's one of those things where like the show has been on the bubble for th- three, four straight seasons at this point. Like it's been close to cancellation every single season that it's been on. Sure. So it's kind of like. Just like community. The one thing I yeah. really like about it is that it the show does not hesitate to take risks with its characters. Like it tries new roles out for the characters, and sometimes they work, and sometimes they don't. And yeah. Characters roll back to where they were, and sometimes they evolve. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Like I, I really applaud the show for pushing its characters all the time into new roles, 
And uh, seeing, I mean, like, from season four, almost every character, there's a distinct change in where they're at from where they are in season one, with the exception of Ron, because he's an Im- immovable object. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, it, is a, it is a good show still, and um, shoot. There was How something... do you feel about Chris Pratt? I gotta ask that. Dude, I love Chris Pratt. Okay, <laughs> good. I have been on, that's the other thing I've been watching, is a series of Chris Pratt interviews on YouTube. <laughs> I'm just, he is personally, he doesn't even know it, but he is personally auditioning for me for Star-Lord. <laughs> He's passing with flying colors. I watched an interview. I was sitting on my couch, watched an interview of him on Ellen. That made me seriously like I was laughing out loud. I was like, "This guy is so good. He's gonna be. He's gonna be great." Good. I'm really, glad. I'm really. I know that's what inspired you to start watching Parks and, and Rec. Yeah, initially. absolutely. And Gojo's been watching it with me. He's he, he and I watched probably at least a dozen episodes of it now or more. And he was like, so sold. He's like, he's gonna. That's be, cool. He's gonna be a lot of fun to watch. That's really cool. And I was like, cool. Yeah. He's a little bummed out. He barely knows who Jason Momoa is, but he's uh, he's a little dismayed that he's apparently most likely not going to be in the movie now. Because I showed him pictures and described who he is, and he was like, "That's awesome," because he loves Drax. Yeah. And, uh, um, I watched something else too, but I really don't remember what it was. So it wasn't that good. <laughs> something, something, something on Netflix, and now I just I don't remember. I was going to watch Moneyball today. I was like, I need to watch a movie that I can talk about for sure before the podcast, but I didn't have time before work. So okay. for the have, next, have you seen Moneyball? No. Okay. Uh, for the next episode, I will have watched Moneyball. Okay. And probably, I have a couple movies. I have Safety Not Guaranteed queued up on my computer and something else. I'll have watched a few movies before the next one. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, public service announcement. Side by side, the documentary that has popped up a few times on the podcast is currently on Netflix Watch Instant. So... Oh, cool. Check it out if you haven't yet. It's, so it's pretty sweet. Movie, I think I saw it the other day. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yep. Both uh, of side those. Side by side's awesome. Both of those yeah. are amazing. So, um, I haven't really watched a whole lot other than Die Hard movies that I caught up on, but we'll talk about that more in the Die Hard segment. Um, Die but Hard I segment. Yes, the new Die Hard segment of the show. <laughs> um, but I <laughs> a segment to Die Hard for. No. Nope. No. Okay. Nope. Doesn't um, work unless it ends in hard, huh? Or die. <laughs> or die. I don't know. Continue. Anyway, um, I sat down for the first time since uh, 2011. I sat down and, and rewatched 50-50. And that was, that was my number one movie of the year when it came out. And it very much has personal ties for me because my mom is a cancer survivor. And I sat down and watched the movie with, with her and my dad just to kind of gauge her feelings on it and 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 things like that and it was it was a very interesting watch just you know there's certain scenes that happen in the movie things like uh going into the uh first chemo treatment and my mom was like asking my dad questions at the time and she was she was like so she's like did you come in with me for the first chemo treatment he's like yeah yeah i did and then she's like yeah that's right you did and just like a little thing like I, I was nervous about watching it with her because I didn't want to bring up bad memories. You it's want obviously, to get upset. Yeah, yeah, it's it's obviously it's a very hard thing to go through in life. Well sure. And and I didn't want to like drudge up old feelings, but I think she watched it with a very objective lens, which is different from the way that I watched it, but um it was just very interesting to see how she felt about it. She's like the it really brings across the whole feeling of, of you know, having can like the first the first moment when the doctor says cancer, 
and it sounds like a flashbang goes off and yeah. then, like the whole vision like phases out she's like that's exactly how it feels yeah. when that happens and just little moments like that it was really really interesting to hear her input on things and and i still i love that movie very much and it's 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 very good it didn't it didn't get a lot of attention and it puts a lot of people off because it's like it's like a cancer movie that's somewhat a comedy but also very heartfelt and very dark yeah and um but but i think it is certainly one that's worth watching it's a very very interesting movie and it's it'll have you laughing one minute and then close to tears in the next and i just i have to appreciate any movie that can do that effectively so it's always interesting watching movies with with that you've seen before but then watching them again with somebody who who really has lived at least something similar to yeah you know um you know like watching a watching a war movie with somebody who's been yeah things like it's very interesting you know because it really does it really can affect your view on the movie too, mm-hmm. depending on how they walk away from it. It like it can really inform the whole experience that you have yeah. when you're watching the film, and uh, like certainly like extraneous information like that, like with kind of what happened with Argo. Jimmy Carter kind of came out and said it's a fantastic film, but it makes it look like the Americans were the heroes when it was really all the Canadians. And it's like hearing things like that. It certainly has a it 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 can color your perception, and that's for good and bad. So, uh, you know, watching 50-50 with my mom was, was certainly one of those experiences, and it was very cool, and, and she liked it a lot. So That's good. It's, you know. That's been in the news a lot, actually, people talking about Jimmy Carter and yeah. his opinions on Argo. It was, uh, I saw it on the news, uh, actually, today. Yeah. I was like, hmm. There's been a lot of opinions being thrown around about it now that it's really become a huge, now that it's going to sell a ton and rent a ton. And yeah, yeah, and, you know, I... But I, I don't think you should go into those movies. I, I don't. I. I know. I don't. I don't think you should go into any movie, quote unquote, based on a true story, and expect it, everything to be. If exactly it's not, what it if is. it's not a documentary, it has the artistic license to go where it needs to go to make a compelling movie. Absolutely. So. And often, and even in that case, documentaries frequently have a spin. Oh yeah. Spin. Yeah, they at least have a spin that makes the yeah that they want that you to look you one way or another. Emotional connection to what's going on, and I understand that. But I think that unfortunately, a lot of people don't look at it that way. Yeah, and there was a, yeah, there were a lot of heated uh, arguments going on in the in the comments on like slash film and stuff last night. <clears throat> I read some of them after Argo was announced Best Picture, and a lot of people were really bent out of shape about it because they were like history was changed and revised, and people are celebrating it like it's a big thing. And a lot of people were like, it won Best Picture because it was the most engaging, mm-hmm. best made movie. They're like. Whether or not some historical inaccuracies exist, yeah. the movie was great, and that's why it's being celebrated. It's not category is not most accurate movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So this kind of segues well into our our Oscar Oscar discussion. Oscar talk. Um, so I'll, I'll do a quick little rundown of of the the upper level awards. Um, as said, Argo uh, picked up the best picture. Uh, Ang Lee picked up Best Director for Life of Pi. Uh, Best Actress was Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, Actor, you got Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln. Animated feature, Brave won. Uh, Foreign film was Amour. Supporting Actress was Anne Hathaway, as everybody called as soon as they saw Les Miserables. And then Best Supporting Actor was Christoph Waltz. Uh, And, you know, there's more. Adapted screenplay was Argo. Original screenplay was Django Unchained. And, you know... Well, we can bring up more as Paper we Man. want to talk about that. Yes. Yep. Paperman picked up Best Animated Short, which 
no no arguments Curfew there. Curfew is best live action short, which if you haven't seen it, it's awesome. I didn't see any it's of the awesome. shorts, so I, I just saw pimping, it last night. I was pimping Paper Man so hard on Facebook. A couple yeah. weeks ago, I had two different people come to me at work today, like coworkers, and said, "Hey, your movie won best animated short." <laughs> I started laughing. I was like, "Can you guys associate me with that movie now?" <laughs> it's great. It's awesome. Um. And I sold at least four copies of Argo on Blu-ray to people today. I was like, oh boy, they're buying it up. Oh yeah. That's good. I'm going to see what the buzz is about. At least it's a good movie. I can't yeah, argue with them buying sure. a good movie. It's definitely a year for some underdogs, I think. It was some interesting... Yeah, it, it, I feel like it's some of the most diverse Oscars that we've seen in a while in the sense that yeah. you don't you don't have like... No move, no major award was a double down on any movie. Ex- yeah, exactly. No, and, and there were a very couple diverse. of... there were. I mean, there were very few obvious choices this year, I, I think. I mean, at least I think. Lewis, there, there were a couple... Think, DDL was the most obvious yeah. choice. And, and Anna Hathaway was a pretty safe choice. Yeah. Um, but I think for the most part, the rest of them, there were a couple of possibilities there so yeah so okay well we'll talk about um well, we can basically talk about movies that we think uh awards that we think went to the right people or awards that we would have given to somebody else in the category uh and you know we could talk about seth MacFarlane, but i don't did anybody actually watch i i watched it i mean i I, I'm not a huge Seth MacFarlane guy. Neither am I. But, but I, I think he did fine. He did I, a better I, he did a better job than I thought he would. Yeah, I don't think he did. I, he wasn't overly. Uh, he, he had a, a good amount of humor without being super distasteful or anything. So I, I, I liked it. I didn't hear the Stewie voice anywhere. So no, I heard the Ted voice because Ted actually came out and presented yeah. an award. But um, he went out on a limb with a few of his jokes. I was like, ooh. I was pretty happy with his he jokes. He went on a few but... rough ones, and I was kind of like, they weren't too bad though. He, I mean, he didn't have quite the... He wasn't Ricky Gervais. Where he's... It's like, ooh, boy. There's something about his about his personality where, where just the way he read some of those jokes off, I was like, you can tell he's kind of like... Yeah, and... Should I say this? If like, he, he doesn't carry... He doesn't have the same gravitas. As, if like, he had Billy more Crystal conviction in his like voice, that. then it would have sure. played a little better. He was better, not the but worst there was one. Ever. There was no. one joke. I don't remember what it was, but it was a really bad one, and he did not even pause for reaction for laughter he just went right into his next thing and i was like oh he yeah that one. I don't there was actually was. a point where he said are we really still using this joke yeah and then he said it and he's like okay now that we're done with that you know <laughs> it's kind of funny yeah he was okay though and let me just say the whole paul rudd and melissa mccarthy did you see that one? Oh boy that they they presented um the shorts didn't they the animated <sighs> the, the two animated categories I cast that out of my memory oh my god it was bad like paul rudd what are you doing? But anyway. Yeah, well, part of that can't be blamed on him. Sometimes they have to read the dumbest stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's true. It was. It probably wasn't them, but yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, I think we can basically agree, most of us can agree that, uh, speaking of the animated categories, that Wreck-It Ralph should not have lost to Brave. Well, um, I still, admittedly, I still haven't seen Brave. Okay. Um, so I can't really say that, but... Yeah, you can. <laughs> but I, but I, I, I haven't it. heard a single person, internet or real life, say yeah, brave. But I loved Wreck-It Ralph, and I think I would have liked to have seen that one. And I think part of that is because I loved it, and part of it is because I mean, uh, Pixar wins a lot, and I, it would be nice to see Disney Animation Studios pulling out. Not that Disney needs any more accolades <laughs> than they already have, but no, it'd be nice. I mean, it, it would be cool. And I, I think that unfortunately if if Wreck-It Ralph 1 didn't win anything Wreck-It Ralph 2 is probably not going to win anything either yeah well, although then again Toy Story 3 cleaned up too it's true so it's true it, we'll see it, I, I'm, I'm I am bummed about that yeah I can't say it doesn't you know that Brave doesn't deserve it with any real 
Brave was good, but it's it's not up to the par of normal Pixar films. And I don't doubt that. And I and I think it won the vote basically off of Being hey, that's the Pixar film. Let's vote for it yeah. because they always. Unfortunately, I think that that was one of those. That's one of those ones that's just dominated by oh, Pixar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good movie for sure, but the the morals and the the themes in Wreck It Ralph were so much better conveyed and more important. Yeah. And mm-hmm. just overall, the whole movie experience was so much better. Yeah. Brave is just weird. It's really weird. <laughs> it's just it gets confusing at one point. I'm like, what the? It feels like someone summed it. The someone summed it up so well online. I read this comment. And they said it felt like. The script was written and fixed like three times. Like they couldn't decide where they wanted to go with the movie, and so they just kind of hodgepodge it all together in the one like weird movie. It just shifts so many times. You're like, what? Which script is which? Well, the director drama that happened behind the scenes with like Brenda Chapman. She she was originally like the first director on the film, and then they basically threw her out half like very like not too many months out from release and we're like we need to like apparently the movie that she had at that point is extremely different from what whatever actually made it to screen so interesting anyway we can we can move on from that one um who who's got an award that they well i think we need to mention real quick that if tarantino is nominated for a best original screenplay he's probably deserving of winning it let's just be honest here if, i mean if Quentin tarantino wrote it it's probably worth win- it's probably worthy of winning um, what do you mean? If Quentin Tarantino wrote a script, it's probably worthy of winning Best Original Screenplay. It, typically, they are because they're that good. It's it's they're they're entertaining scripts. I I think um, I probably would have given it to Zero Dark Thirty myself, but that's really just a personal preference. I think at that point because Django was extremely good and I, I, I enjoyed it I, very much. I think and the only reason I would argue that is is. It's not that Zero Dark Thirty is adapted, but in a way, it, it's it's certainly based on you know what I mean on, on yeah, factual yeah. evidence. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Django's a completely original. Cre- I mean, not that well, Django's based in certain things that actually happened, but it's much less so. So that's just my I don't know. Yeah. Um, but just that's just one thing. Also, I think the same can be said for DDL. If DDL is nominated, he's going to win. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just throwing and that out there. Was, I mean, there's <clears throat> I I've seen. Three of the five film I've seen. I saw Bradley Cooper in Silver Linings Playbook. I saw Joaquin Phoenix in The Master, and I saw Daniel Day Lewis in Lincoln. And Daniel Day Lewis stole it by, by yeah. miles. And so. I think Denzel for Flight was just kind of there because he's Denzel. Yeah. I mean, nothing against Denzel Washington, but I don't think Flight was. Yeah. Knocking knocking the critics out of the park or anything. Um. Definitely interested in the fact that. Amour is the second in history film, I think it's the second, um, to be nominated for Best Foreign Film and Best Picture. Interesting. I didn't realize that. I think it's only the second or third. I think it's strange that the director of Funny Games has a film that's nominated for Best Picture. Very interesting, right? That's insane to me. there is artistic merit in in Funny Games, I think. Oh, there's there's certainly a promise of, of, you know what I mean? There's a lot to talk about, and apparently Amour is still a very, like... Cerebral kind of... Yes, like a very... In your head, like, yeah, interesting movie to 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 look at, but I, you know, none of us have seen it, so I am bummed about. Uh, I haven't seen Silver Linings, but I'm bummed that Jessica Chastain didn't win for for Zero Dark because I can't imagine any performance this year that could be on par with that. I, she was just so, and it was funny. I was I wasn't I wasn't necessarily sold on her in the first even hour of of Zero Dark. I was like, she's good, but and and just I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm bummed about that, and I I I hope. That there's not 
political reasons for that happening? I well, I don't think there is. I hope there's not. I mean, here's 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 my whole thought process on the thing was that I was certain that she was going that Jessica Chastain was going to get the Oscar. She won the Golden Globe. Uh, yeah, well, and not even just off of that. I was like, she did an amazing job in the oh, film, absolutely. and I and I've seen both Zero Dark Thirty and Silver Linings Playbook, and and I thought Jessica Chastain would would really take it home, and. I basically counted Jennifer Lawrence out because they usually don't give it to the younger people. The younger people, they're yeah. like, they'll be back here at some point. They right. can collect later. Right. And, and that's in the political sense of things. Well, and, and so, quite frankly, with, with, with uh, I, I cannot pronounce the, the little girl from Beast of the Southern Wild's name, so I apologize. Yeah. Um, but I, I assumed that if they were going to go with the younger card, they would go with her because it's like, oh my gosh, look at this cute little girl yeah. accepting an award. Uh, you know, so I'm surprised that I mean, Jennifer Lawrence is right in the middle of that, so that's yeah. really surprising for me. Uh, but I will say, with her win- with Jennifer Lawrence winning the award, and, like, uh, there's been so much, like, with all the Oscars buzz and everything, like, a lot of interviews with her and, and, and things like that, getting to, like, somewhat know her as a person in the public eye, she seems like an extremely cool person, and I've basically fallen in love with her, and I'm okay with it happening now, <laughs> because <laughs> it's just... They, they they showed a moment on uh, on Good Morning America or something like that with with her being interviewed and Jack Nicholson kind of walks up behind and is like, "I loved you in your movie," and she's just kind of like, "I've loved you in all of your movies," and just like think, he's like he's like, "You look like a like an old ex girlfriend of mine," and then she's like, "Do I?" She's like, "Do I look like a new girlfriend of yours?" And then he's like, "I've thought about it." <laughs> I, I like I like that. I, one thing I do like about her is that if you. I think it's safe to compare the Hunger Games with Twilight. They they are they are they are teen in the same way that you put Harry Potter in there too. Twilight in in the audience's view. Not I think it's a better film and book than than the Twilight anything Twilight. But regardless, but what I find interesting is and what I appreciate is that if Kristen Stewart is the the female that young girls were looking up to growing up with Twilight. I'm so happy she's being replaced by Jennifer Lawrence because Jennifer Lawrence is like the anti-Kristen Stewart. In every way that Kristen Stewart is annoying and twitchy and can't brush her hair and yeah. barely makes <laughs> eye contact with, with anybody. And it, Jennifer Lawrence is, is, seems fun and quick on her, quick-witted and seems excited to be acting and excited to be around these yeah. people and excited for the work. And I get Kristen Stewart out of there and that's like I'm happy to see that there's somebody actually enthusiastic about her craft yeah. and, and that actually like appreciates the people that are watching these movies and essentially making her money. Kristen Stewart does none of that. I'll make the disclaimer that Jennifer Lawrence is a previous Dachshund owner so of course there's love from my camp on that. But. There you go. Previous um, what happened? Why didn't she get in? She, if she really well, loved when, she get another When she was a kid. <laughs> and, shut up. <laughs> Don't undermine this. Don't ruin this. Don't undermine this this love going on right now. I think we should talk about best director. There's a lack of a certain someone on the best director category, that's been talked about. There's um, a lack of a few people, really. But well, yeah, I mean, when you have ten, uh, what is it, ten? Uh, ten best pic. Well, there's nine this year. Nine, nine best picture nominees and only five slots for best director. There's gonna be four people that I can do math. <laughs> <laughs> there's gonna be four people that are left out. I do not, however, understand how how Ben Affleck was left out of this. Yeah, I, I, part of that, in all honesty, is because he's on a three move, three really really cool movie streak now. He's he's really a, a very young and up and coming director still, and this is his best movie yet, did in the, my opinion. Did the town get a best picture now? 
I don't think I think the only nomination that that got out of the bigger ones was supporting for Jeremy Renner. Okay. I think I don't okay. know. I think Gone Baby Gone got a Best Picture nom though. I I was gonna say it's very strange that that uh, he would have Best Picture nominations under his belt and then win Best Picture for Argo and not be on the director. It's interesting, and I, I like I said, I'm not sure what he's been nominated before for. I don't know if he's been nominated for Best Director. It's just it's a strange choice. I mean, I. It's well, he he got a screenplay with Matt Damon back in the day. Yeah, he, I know he won first for Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, yeah, and um, I did find it funny that there's a big joke about that on Family Guy, which is of course written by Seth MacFarlane <laughs> about how Ben Affleck just sat around and got stoned while ben, Matt Damon wrote the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. It was pretty funny. But anyway, regardless, I, I I I am bummed. I think it's there's always one or two snubs, you know, every year, and because quite frankly, they can't fit everybody that you want on there. And they can't please everybody, but this is the one this year where I'm like, nope, not I'm not I'm not digging it. That bums me out. Well, personally, the real snub that I want to talk about here is that Zero Dark Thirty didn't take anything home. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. And that's like, it was up no, for. No, it, it took it. It it tied. Okay. For it, sound editing or sound mixing, one of the two with Skyfall, it was yeah. a tie. And ties ties are very rare. I think this was the sixth one that's happened in in the, histi- history. the history of the the Oscars. So, but it's it got it got nominated for one of those sound ones. It got nominated for uh, actress cinematography, I think. cinematography uh, adapted or um, original. original screenplay. And it didn't get it. It got it got. It's it's so disappointing to me, and it it's, is. It was my favorite movie of last year, so it's not like. Uh, and I don't think that I, I don't think that that's necessarily a, a stab at the quality of that movie because I mean if you really look at the nominees this year, it's pretty packed. Yeah, there were some. I mean, I mean between Argo and Django and Les Mis and Lincoln and Zero Dark and you know a couple of the other. I think the other ones, personally, I mean in my opinion, a little bit less so, but. I'm. I, I mean, there were a lot. There's a lot of competition this year, but I, I, I am sad to see that it wasn't acknowledged for pretty much anything. I'll say that I would have been down with um, a lack of David O. Russell. And uh, <laughs> you're okay ad- with Jennifer Lawrence, but David O. Russell's gonna go. Oh my God, I hate David O. Russell so much. <laughs> like I'm very happy that he doesn't get to talk anything except for maybe Jennifer Lawrence, and even then, that was all her. That's got nothing to do with him, but. What is your what is the, the real real quick? I know it's off topic, but what is the source of your hatred? It's just the fact it's solely based on George Clooney punching him in the face in Three Kings and the video of him like Berating freaking out on Tomlin. on Lily Tomlin. Okay, I was just curious. Which I figured that was probably Lily it. Tomlin isn't exactly being an angel in that video either. No, no, she's but not. oh my god, like I, the person I felt bad for was Jason Schwartzman. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Well, yeah, Jason Schwartzman just kind of awkwardly stands in the background. Then he just gets up and leaves halfway through. He's yeah, like, I'm gonna go. But I'm I, and. You know, not not to be mean here, but David O. Russell feels a deep connection to Silver Linings Playbook because his son has has issues in in the mental sense, and sure. it's just like I wonder where he got them from. It's yeah. just it's yeah. really really. David O. Russell can be unhinged. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, he's certainly not the first director, but yeah. <clears throat> anyway, let's we can get off the subject of David. O. Anyway, Nick, any any, any thoughts on the Oscars? And he cares about the Oscars. <laughs> Any lols? I don't really give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Year, I mean, this year's Oscars were so... I don't know. 
whatever. I, I, I am the only awards that kind of bummed me out were Zero Dark Thirty not getting anything I thought was weird, but I, it bums me out that I think a lot of it is surround, con- political. Yeah, regarding yeah, like like it got snubbed because of all the controversy around I, it. I have. I was not that out. I want to turn this into a political discussion, but I have little to no doubt in my mind that there's a little bit of that going on. Oh, for sure. Um, I think Chastain probably should have won because she created a, a really cool character with basically nothing to back it up. Like you didn't really see any real character development happen too much in that movie, and yet you cared anyway. But it's all done cool. through her performance, mm-hmm. purely yeah. through her performance. I was bummed out that uh, there was no uh, supporting actor nom for uh, Jason Clark. For Zero Dark Thirty, because everybody walked away from that movie saying, "I loved that guy. Who was yeah. that?" Yeah. And I was just scrubbing down here to uh, see the list of supporting actors. And it's it's pretty loaded. I mean, I would I would say easily, as much as I loved him, Jason Clark was easily better than Alan Arkin was in Argo. Alan Arkin was awesome in Argo. Alan Arkin's awesome in everything. He basically played himself. Yeah. And yeah. I, I can... think that there should have been a best hairpiece nomination for Tommy Lee Jones this week. <laughs> I wish Tommy Lee Jones had won for Lincoln because I thought he was really awesome in that movie. But I still haven't seen Django, so I can't I can't fully I commit. absolutely loved Christoph Waltz. I'm the Tommy Lee Jones performance was good, but it really just felt like Tommy Lee Jones to me. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but also Philip Seymour the master, I really wish that it could have won something, but I understand the competition up was up. Now was was um, Joaquin nominated for best actor? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad to see that. I couldn't remember. If he I was, was or not. I was surprised he showed up, and it was great. After they played the clip for him, he, they cut back to him, and he was just shaking his head. Because he would, like as soon as like the Oscar buzz started for him for the Master, he was basically just like, "Why would I ever go to the Oscars? I hate that. Th- I hate that kind of thing." And it's just like, I wouldn't expect him to even show up to the Oscars, yeah. let alone yeah. You know, well, I, 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 um, I, I'm, I'm happy Kristoff won. I think, I mean, I, he's amazing in Django. Yeah. Um, the, the, we should say the part was written for him. Well, sure. Uh, yeah, by yeah, Tarantino. Totally, totally. And I mean, yeah, those two, I think if those two collaborate, he's going to be at least nominated for whatever they collaborate on. Yeah. Because I mean, it just, I mean, Tarantino dialogue is really, it's out there. Obviously, yeah. everybody knows this, but it sounds so good coming out of Kristoff Waltz's <laughs> mouth. He can it sounds so good. He can really write to to what uh, to what can come out of Waltz's Sam, mouth Sam, just perfectly. Sam Jackson and Christoph Waltz, he writes perfectly for yeah. every time. Every single time. So he, uh, the, he knows his actors at least. The interesting thing is that it's basically like his his character, uh, Schultz, is not a supporting char- it's not a supporting role. Not really. He's a main. He's a main character alongside Django, but he really is. But I think that, uh, I think they felt more comfortable putting him in the supporting thing. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, you know, he, he, Django technically is the central character. Yeah. But yeah. But I understand what you're saying. Really, the most dialogue is delivered by Kristoff and 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 DiCaprio, who's another bit of a snub here. DiCaprio like. has a very strange curse, much like Roger Deakins for cinematography. That's what I was, the last thing I was going to talk about was the guy just will not win an Oscar. Roger it's Deakins, insane. Roger Deakins was up for Skyfall, and uh, that man. Life of Pi got it. Yeah, there's been a lot of people too, kind of weirded out by that, saying how much a Life of Pi was really yeah. was actually Real. shot. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and well, I, it that's does, true. It is a it is a skill lighting something that's not there or like you know lighting guiding the animation team and yeah and 
and designing, lighting your subjects so that they're going to be easy to... But a lot of that's handled by the animators themselves, isn't it? Well, the cinematographer will still oversee the whole process yeah. and tell them, this is what I want. And they'll shoot test footage and say, this is the look you need to achieve. But lighting your subject in front of a green screen is hard enough. And lighting them for a certain mood that's going to then be created later is an interesting thing. But, I mean, Skyfall was awesome to look Amazing. at. <laughs> but, so, yeah. One year, Roger Deakins. Hopefully, I mean, really, the it. movie that Deakins should have won for, in my opinion, was Jesse James. That one was still, Beautiful and film. it was so hard yeah. not to. It was so hard to be mad at Elswit for winning for There Will Be Blood because that yeah. movie was amazing too. But Jesse James is just so unique looking. Never seen anything else like it. Yeah. And I'm still just a little bummed out that Dark Knight Rises didn't even get a single nomination. I was like, really, not even score. That score is so good. Yeah, let, let me it's see so what's strong. It definitely it. It, it didn't get it was anything. Original score, we had Anna Karenina, Argo, Life of Pi, Lincoln, and Skyfall. I could have taken off either Lincoln or Skyfall. <laughs> have taken off Argo. I mean, yeah. These, these soundtracks were all appropriate, but they weren't... There was nothing particularly memorable about any no. of them. Yeah, I wouldn't listen, I wouldn't listen to any of them Although, in, their, in my car or driving to work or anything. To tell you the truth, out of the three, Batman Begins Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, I don't remember the Dark Knight Rises that well. I, I agree, but I think it's because I haven't watched it as much either. You mean the score? Yeah. There was nothing that really... The one song that stuck out for me was only in a trailer and <laughs> wasn't yeah. in the final movie in the same form. And well, I think the whole... Because each movie has its own distinct kind of theme that yeah. plays throughout. And Dark Knight being with like the strings for the Joker, but Rises having the chanting yeah. like is so good and it's utilized so well throughout the movie. But the... Uh, the scene of him rising out of the pit alone, oh, that yeah. score is just... I watched that scene over and over and over, and I'm like, good God, how <laughs> yeah. how did this not get nominated? And I do want to say real quick, before we before we end Oscar discussion, I'm a little bit bummed that Avengers didn't get appreciated for the amazing work that ILM did. Yeah, but... Holy crap. Who won, was that, Life of Pi? Yeah, Life, of, Life of Pi wanted to spite the fact that the... Uh, that the effects studio is now bankrupt i and know i feel bad that that really sucks yeah i wish i had seen that movie but i, I, feel I like i'm a little bummed because i honestly think that in my opinion i think the work they did on hulk is is on par with well every Gollum, like even lord of the rings or honestly like you really feel like that's a real character in that the movie. hulk is great the video so. that came out like a week or two ago that shows like them creating new york out of cleveland and 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 in cg was insane in the first place so. and a lot of the i mean almost every single effect in that movie looks really really good yeah i mean there, there's a few moments whatever but i'm i'm bummed about the hulk in particular because they really i think they really did a great job creating a character that up until that point was not creatable like it had, no had missteps in any sort so of hulk looks more real in that movie than Gollum has ever looked including the hobbit i yeah. would i would completely agree i would not that Gollum doesn't look fantastic like, I, the work that what did on those movies is amazing i but freeze frame I free, freeze-framed uh, the Avengers during some of the scenes on Blu-ray with the Hulk, and I was like, good God, like, I can see the stubble on his face. I know. It's yeah. amazing. It's real. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. All right. Well, we should move on to, uh, to Die Hard, because we could probably talk about Oscar's things for, for quite a while. But, um, so we have A Good Day to Die Hard, directed by John Moore. Starring uh, Bruce Willis and uh, Jai Courtney, um, and you know I didn't even pull up an IMDb synopsis for it, but 
basically it's John McClane wants to go and uh, take his his son out of Russia because he thinks that his son is his in... son gets in some trouble. Yes. So um, I think we'll start off talking a little bit about the Die Hard series. Uh, I personally had only seen Die Hard one in complete fashion. Uh, I hadn't seen it until like two years ago. And my first time watching Die Hards 2 through 4 was in the past two weeks. So I'm pretty fresh on 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 most of them anyway. Um, and uh, I'm kind of torn to say which is which is better in the sense of Die Hard 1 or, or Die Hard with a Vengeance. I think they both have some very very big strengths and and weaknesses as well um die hard 2 i think is the weakest of those original three yes totally uh, i agree and uh i'll get into that a little more later but (laughs) um live free or die hard is the complete divergence of the die hard series uh from from what really made a die hard movie you still have john mcclain in there but and he's still, to, at least to me, I can't say this for everybody, but he still, to me, at least in Live Free or Die Hard, feels relatively like John McClane. Yeah, and that feels like like he acts like how John McClane would act in that given situation. He he does, but with the exception of superheroics, there's still um, circumstances set forth in Die Hard movies that just get completely eradicated in that fourth in that fourth film, and we'll we'll talk about that a little more, but. Uh, where what are your guys' standings on on the Die Hard series? Well, my um, I grew up with the Die Hard. The first, the first two mostly. My my dad is a huge fan of Die Hard. A huge, huge fan of Die Hard. It's I a mean, very like dad thing. That is seriously like I think his favorite action movie of all time. It's that or Lethal Weapon. One of the two. He loves both those movies. Very yeah. dad movies. And I had I had Die Hard one and two in a two pack on VHS. It's <laughs> funny. My dad actually my dad actually reminds me of John McClane. Like, like, I think my dad would react exactly the same to the situations that John McClane is in. Yeah. Like, like he, he'd be really pissed off about it the whole time and, like, you know, like, grumbling about it the whole time, but he'd still be shooting people. So Terrorist jacking your dad's train. No, nah, he would totally... <laughs> yeah. He'd be like, I'm on vacation. <laughs> um, but no, uh, so I, I, I had a lot of experience with the first two diehards. It wasn't until later on that I... That I saw Die Hard three, mm-hmm. and and I I feel exactly the same. I thought Die Hard two was an enjoyable action movie, but it didn't feel like like it could it even close to lived up to Die Hard one. Yeah, certainly in terms of plot, because the simplicity of Die Hard is really what makes it so great. It's the one guy stuck against insurmountable odds by himself, cut off from his resources, doesn't have shoes on. Yeah completely cut off and somehow has to find a way to make things happen and to save an entire building full of people. Yeah. And it's just it's it's amazing to watch the horrible stuff he has to go through and 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 his attitude towards the whole thing is really cuz he keeps that sense of humor, mm-hmm. that charm about him the whole time, you know. Yeah. And and Bruce Willis really did. I mean, say what you will about Bruce Willis, but he really did craft a very cool character in John McClane in that first movie. Yeah. And um, and it's it's still to this day one of my favorite action movies. And Die Hard three I think is fantastic as well. Yeah, I like that it has ties to the original Die Hard, mm-hmm. and I like the overall idea of the cat and mouse game of, of of getting from point A to point B in enough time 
to stop this horrible thing from yeah. happening. I think that it it Die Hard Three. My biggest complaint with Die Hard Three is that it dissolves a little bit in the last fifteen minutes or so into just generic action movie territory again. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of just like really this is the payoff for what I've been watching. Yep. Um, but but ultimately it's pretty good. Um, are we talking about Die Hard Four right now? Should I just get right into it? Uh, Die Die Hard Four. Uh, uh, we'll get Nick's thoughts real quick on sure. on the original ones, and then we can kind of delve into the the latter half of the Die Hard series. But Nick, what what are your thoughts on on Die Hard Die Hard Two Die Harder and Die, Die Hard with a Vengeance? vengeance. Uh, I mean, I love the first one. It's a classic. I have growing up, I had the same VHS taped like dubbed off of tv copy yeah. that my brother and i used to watch constantly you became mr falcon yeah that was in the second one oh the first excuse one, me say that. <laughs> uh no the first one's it's a it's fun to watch now not only because of nostalgia but because it reminds me of a time when completely original movie movies still existed yeah and came out and uh I mean, Willie summed it up well. It's just great, the total underdog character. And it's a really weird character because you feel the whole time like he's pretty capable, but you always feel like he's in danger. Yeah. And it crafted such a great villain out of Alan Rickman, Hans Gruber. I mean, how many times has he been referenced in tons of other stuff? Yeah. He'll always harken back to that character. He's one of the great film villains. Absolutely. He is. I want to say right now, we're not going to steer away from spoilers from any of the Die Hard movies, including the new one during this. So feel free to speak freely. Um... And that movie just has so many just great iconic moments that stand out in my mind, and uh, it's just great. It made a st- awesome action star out of Bruce Willis, and yeah. that was probably his first real role. Um, it had all these clever plot conventions, like the losing the shoes was such a mm-hmm. big thing. Um, and it's I think it's a great. A lot of people who want to write suspense or action movies could could look at that movie and just find it's full of great ways to put your character through the ringer and make people care about them sure and that balancing that humor too like the whole the whole time he he very rarely treats the movie like it's super serious like john mclean the whole time is kind of acting like it's just a bad day like he got a flat tire or his his (laughs) debit card he forgot his pin number like the whole time it's just kind of like oh this sucks but here we go he's just a tough bastard and he just accepts his situation even though it's horrible just like makes the most of it. I think that's always been what made his character so endearing. Um, I think, real quick, what you said about um, this being kind of the, the starting, the the pilot vehicle for Bruce Willis as an action hero. In my personal opinion, I don't know what you guys count as Arnold Schwarzenegger's starting uh, movie, whether it be Terminator or Conan or, or with, with Stallone, but I think this is the best of the bunch. I think this is the best birth of an action star I've ever seen. Mm. It's definitely a very charismatic yeah. performance. Because Schwarzenegger, I would, I would say Terminator for me personally. I would agree. But I think Terminator Two is an even bigger demonstration of Schwarzenegger. Of what he can do. A, like the first, the first one, you get like it's more of a, it's almost more of a horror movie. Like Terminator Sh- One is. Yeah. And he yeah. certainly doesn't have a lot to do other yeah. than shoot and. As the, so, as I mean, as when I when I think of iconic, I don't know. When I think of first time, when I think of Star is Born moments, I I would think more immediately of Schwarzenegger than Willis and Die Hard. Sure. Just because Terminator is so... I mean, people look at Bruce Willis and they think Bruce Willis. People look at Arnold Schwarzenegger still, and a lot of people still immediately, the first thing they say is, I'll be back, or something from <laughs> the Terminator movies, because yeah, that's, yeah. that's his thing. The second Die Hard is, is really sweet. Um, it's a little derpy, but it's fun. It's cool. It's It's got... It recycles a lot of stuff from the first one. Yeah. But and then, so all... One, two, or two and three both do. 
Yeah. Um, but I think it's fun. I think the airport setting is cool. I think they... It's something I want to come back to later for sure, but I think that Die Hard 2 was the last real Die Hard movie that we got. I mean, people more recently say, like, with 4 and 5, they're like, oh, like, we were even saying it yesterday or whatever that was. Um, like, Die Hard 5, like, this is just the furthest from a Die Hard movie that we've ever seen, which is true, but there hasn't been a real, truly Die Hard movie. Like, 3 even gets almost too big in scale where I almost don't even consider it a classic Die Hard movie anymore. I, interesting. I disagree with you in the sense that I feel like Die Hard 2 is the biggest departure before uh, Live Free or Die Hard, but we'll get we'll get into that. Yeah, like I said, we'll come back to it. But I think uh, there's a there's a real tendency with Die Hard movies to think of the formula established by the first one, that it's a guy inside, cut off from everything else, in one location, in one day, trying to make all this, trying to solve all these problems. And that's really, the first movie's the only one that's really like that. The second one is a little bit bigger scale, and that it's mostly all in an airport. And he's not completely cut off in the second no. one. But in the, no. and then in the third one, it's like it's a whole city, and it's uh, it's a lot more action set pieces in the third one. Yeah. But I think the third one is almost as good as the first because Jeremy Irons is such a beast. And and, and Sam and Jackson makes it great. <laughs> Sam, Sam Jackson's, Jackson's awesome. The dynamic between the two of them is really cool. Yeah. Um, having Reginald Vell Johnson pop up again in the third one is awesome in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but they're they're it's a great trilogy. Die Hard One is always. The joke between me and Gojo is always that it's our favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. And uh, I always played around Christmas. Yeah. It's just a great. Every it's got everything going for it. Alexander Gudunov's character is always always referenced in tons of stuff. Um, yeah, it's just Die Hard One is so good. All right. Um, so, you know, I, I think we can basically draw the conclusion that Live Free or Die Hard. It's somewhat watchable, but it's really just not a Die Hard movie. No. It's, I I like it more than both of you like it. Yeah. But I, I also didn't see the PG-13 version first. I, did, okay. I skipped it in theaters and I watched the radar version, which does help a little bit because he's able to be John McClane more. Yeah. I haven't even seen the PG-13 version, so I can't... I saw it in theaters with Gojo and my So I don't... I mean, I don't even know what to say about it, but I, I, I think with the exception of certain scenes like the big, huge Harrier fight and <laughs> crashing a car through a helicopter... <laughs> I think it actually is a pretty solid Die Hard movie. I truly do. I think Timothy Oliphant fl- falls a little flat as a villain, but then again, look who he's following up. Yeah. Let's be honest here. I think he, he does well for, for a, in a villain role. I think he does. I just think that he has t- too tough an act to follow. I think they should have gone with an older, more highly regarded British actor again. Yeah. And they were... It was true. Where's Patrick Stewart as my Die Hard villain? <laughs> Patrick Stewart was rumored to, to be... Seriously, he was know. rumored to be the villain in this movie. Oh, wow. In, in Which would have been really the cool. The fifth one? Mm-hmm. I love Patrick Stewart so much. I don't know if I can watch him, though, and take him seriously anymore. The only movie where I can watch him and absolutely, like, bow down before his greatness is anything X-Men. Yeah. I think, I think with I've the right... Spe- especially X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yes. I think with the right... Uh, with his Play-Doh face. <laughs> with the right dialogue and, the, and, the, and an interesting maybe quirk or two to his character, he'd be pretty, it could have been pretty, pretty, cool. pretty menacing, though. It yeah. He could cool. be. And, and it'd be a cool thing to see him. But regardless, I think that they could have... I think Oliphant did a good job with what he had to work with. I didn't hate him or anything. But I, I didn't hate him enough. That was... like I, I, yeah. I wasn't like, God, get him, John. You know? Yeah. Um, but I, I don't hate Live Free or Die Hard. I don't like Live Free or Die Hard particularly. I just don't hate it. Okay. And I think it is a cool plot for a Die Hard movie in the sense that it's something new for... completely new and 
and John McClane doesn't have a great grasp on technology to begin with, so yeah. it's really like he's a complete fish out of water in yeah. a different way. He's cut off in a di- like mentally, he has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was kind of. He cool. doesn't even understand the stakes of what's going to happen in the end. Cause no, like Justin Long has to sit there and, and I like Justin Long. I, I'm a sucker for I like Justin, Justin Long. Long so yeah, and I thought that he had a pretty good, not as good as him and Sam Jackson, but I thought he had an interesting dynamic with yeah McClane. All right. Well, we're 12 minutes into our Die Hard review, and we haven't reviewed the Die Hard movie that we set out to review. So <laughs> let's let's uh, you know. I think we got to build up to it. I think talking about four is important. All right. All right. Well, this is my opinion. What I mean, do you want to say about four then? <laughs> is there anything? <laughs> yeah, I just I I think four four is my least favorite. I would say easily. Yeah. Five is is definitely super. And we'll get more into five, but why I enjoyed five, or why the reasons I, the things that, whatever. Uh, <laughs> four, it just feels the most not diehard to me. And I think a big part of it, like what you like about John McClane feeling fish out of water, I think is, I don't like it. I'm like, why is there a, a, a technologically based villain for John McClane in the fight? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. That's a good point. It almost feels like he'd wake up in the morning and see that on the news and be like, that's not my fight. That's not my thing. Like, what do I even do? Yeah. It'd be like it's all it's like the notion of it's the way I feel about like Spider Man being involved in like the Infinity Gauntlet. I'm like, what is he doing there? Like, no offense, Spider Man, I love you. But you I think that some of the best Earth. stories can be told with that though. I think it can it they can, can be, but they can also right. fail and fall oh, hard, sure. which is how I felt about Live Free Die Hard. Plus I really, really, really don't like Len Wiseman. I don't know why he still gets work. I don't either. He's a he's a competent enough director, but his movies just aren't remarkable in any way besides for how boring they are live free or die hard is the only len wiseman film that i've seen and it was pretty horrible you, oh, you haven't seen underworld nope. or any of that nothing other fluff probably nope. best if you don't yeah he's just not a very good director no there was nothing there's certainly worse directors like tim story but brett ratner but yeah there's uh, there was nothing technically savvy about any of the film and it just felt really bland and, and the action set pieces in live free or die hard to me feel way crazier in a way than they feel more like resident evil set pieces than like die hard five like die hard five set pieces were ridiculously bombastic but they felt besides diving out of plate glass windows and falling several stories with the exception of that like all the chase stuff all the helicopter crashing stuff i was like this is kind of similar to what john mcclain's dealt with before yeah but like live free or die hard that shot where the car flips and the two other cars oh, yeah. stop it from landing on it yeah. i'm like what the fuck <laughs> Like, it's just so wire foo but, did, but didn't you love uh, Resident Evil set pieces from this past year? <laughs> no. <laughs> it, uh, not in a Die Hard movie, this is what I'm saying. Like, there's there's just different different places for these different things. And when you try to meld certain things, like, Die Hard is just very rough, hewn, square edges. Like, he's just not a... He's not that kind of action hero who, like, can do slick stuff. He's just a guy who stands and holds guns and shoots people. Like, that's, that's John McClane. Like, you don't turn him into anything crazier than that, in my opinion. He's good at, like, that's why I thought it was funny in Die Hard 5. So many times he's like, yeah, killing bad guys, that's what you're good at. And I was like, damn right. Like, <laughs> I'm glad there's a line in the script that literally says you're good at killing bad guys. Because yeah. he's good at doing. Yeah. He's not good at fighting cyber bullies. I was like, get, why isn't Justin Long the hero of this movie? <laughs> but I think the biggest plague for Die Hard's 4 and 5 with me is that they're movies that probably shouldn't be John McClane movies. They should be other character movies, and they'd be, they'd be better. I, that's doubtful but. but the harrier fight the harrier fight no i mean they like, take a movie like shoot him up like that movie is awesome only because it's an original movie that is a character that's never been seen before and it's totally 
knows it's retarded and it's over the top. If you took Die Hard 5 and plugged a character like that into that movie, you'd be more willing to be like, yeah, he can fall into a pool that's sitting in Pripyat, radioactive water for the last 35 years or whatever. And I'd be down with that. Like Clive Owen from Shoot 'em Up, you'd be like, yeah, he'd make it out of that. Well, I guess it says something that I haven't seen Shoot 'em Up. I probably wouldn't have seen A Good Day to Die Hard if it was somebody else in a completely new story. And I probably wouldn't have done I almost didn't see Live Free or Die Hard. And, it, you know, we'll, we'll get into that a little more. But The hairier thing, like you said, that the hairier thing, I was like... That's, that's, <laughs> that's the biggest, certainly the biggest shark jumping yeah. moment. Yeah. All I, right. do, I do like Justin Long, though. I think it's always cool to see him in something like that. I remember when they were rumor- the list of rumored people to play his son, and Aaron Paul was on it. I was like, that'd be really funny. Aaron Paul was on it. James, ba- James Badgedale was on it. I think in terms of resemblance, Jai Courtney was the obvious choice. He does kind of almost mug like, similar looks. like Bruce Willis sometimes. Yeah. Anyway, so thoughts on four? I, you covered it you all. Kinda, yeah, you kind of yeah, you kind of you kind of shared your thoughts. Yeah, I, every time you see Kevin Smith, I just want to karate chop. <laughs> I, you know, I, Kevin Smith was fine. No, he wasn't a big complaint for me in the film. There were a lot of other ones. With five, I just want to say real quick that I think that it, to me, it feels. And the one thing about the rest of the Die Hard movies is that they each individual plot is different enough, and there's a little bit of a twist on. The formula enough with the exception of maybe two two isn't terribly twisty it doesn't feel like anything more than an action movie a typical yeah. action movie plot but three has an interesting different you know yeah one does this one is very generic in terms of 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 the plot and in terms of what's going on yeah the set pieces feel typical chase scene yes there's some cool cam- shots of the chase scene and stuff but it's really just a chase scene we've and seen it before this is this is the one mission that actually has like well that's not true i was going to say the first one certainly has personal they all have personal stakes except do. for maybe the third one except zeus's kids at the anyway they all they all have some sort all, of personal yeah but this this one is where the mission that john mcclain goes on is because of number one it's a mission in the first place Number two, it's because it's his son, and yes. he needs to. He wants to pull his son out of whatever bad crap and he's I, in. I don't think that the uh, the idea of having John McClane, uh, it's been established in the series before that he has the two kids. Yeah. I don't think it's a horrible idea to have him and his son work together to get through this. I think it's actually very clever. I think it's a smart idea because there are really cool ways you can play off the, estra- you know, the estranged father son dynamic, and it and it can actually make for some some decent emotional resonance among all the gunfire and stuff. But every single time, not only do they bring it up too much, not only do they bring up the fact that he doesn't like his dad and they haven't talked to each other in years or whatever, like too much, Yeah. They the way it's handled is so corny and so on the nose and just like, like seriously, ev- literally any small, minute little chance that John McClane Jr., can find to bring up the fact that his dad wasn't there for him, he brings it up. Yeah. I mean, he could be like, hey, uh, John Jr., will you pass the ketchup? He's like, yeah, I couldn't do that when I was a kid because you weren't there. <laughs> like, seriously, like, stu- <laughs> like, seriously, he'll find any reason to do it. It's just, uh, it gets so silly. Like, yeah. seriously, you guys are beating a dead horse. We get it. You know, there were there are more interesting ways to do that. Not to mention there's two different Russian villains that comment on the fact that there's, yeah, like... John McClane has com- meaningful conversations with almost every Russian character <laughs> in this movie about it being a father. And it's so stupid. He would not even consider doing that. He has no interest. In, like, why would he have... It's, it's silly. So that gets 
that gets shoved down your throat to the point of wanting to regurgitate. Yeah. Um, and then my other big thing with this movie is, seriously, Bruce Willis feels like he's he's asleep. Yeah. Like he could give two craps about being in this movie, or I'm not sure if like I I want to think he's been doing a lot of direct-to-video movies lately, like Setup and Catch 44 and Cold Light of all these really crappy direct-to-video action movies. Yeah. I think maybe he forgot he was in an actual like diehard movie. <laughs> like he did, he was bringing his direct-to-video game here. Yeah. Not his like Looper Moonrise Kingdom game. Yeah. And he probably should have brought at least a tiny bit of that. Yeah. I'm not expecting Oscar-worthy performance, but for God's sake, just care. That first scene of him at the shooting range, I felt like, oh my God, he's like a billion years old, and like that was a terrible scene. Yeah, it was the, it. Every line of dialogue was bad. Whoever yeah. that guy was, that was his buddy was a Maureen Alasco. That Star felt like break. that felt like second unit. Like, oh yeah, there's that scene. Get yeah, it. like oof. That was like we're gonna mail you a camera, Bruce. Can nice, you set uh, this up? Tight spread there, Grandpa. I was like, oh. yeah. We know yeah. he's old. We can look at him. Yep. That's he's the problem no with this he's is they, they I feel like they're they're like trying to explain to their audience, oh he's old and you don't you get it guys? He's old and he wasn't there for his son. Don't, don't and you guys understand this yet? We, yeah, we do. Thank you. Yeah. Move on. Please, God, seriously. Shoot yeah. something. <laughs> it a and it's movie. a long time before the action starts in this movie too. Yeah. 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 And once it starts it's not terribly interesting. No. I there's probably a good thirty seconds to a minute that you can cut out of there of Jai Courtney just saying, Shouldn't be here, John. You shouldn't be here. John, John, you shouldn't no, be the here. Tagline, the tagline for the movie should have been damn you, John. Damn you. <laughs> yeah, beating the steering wheel and saying damn you, John over and over again. That's what I want to make a poster that says <laughs> Damn you to die hard. Damn yeah. you, John. Yeah. Damn you. Now and the dialogue, I mean, you know, action movie dialogue typically isn't known for its its eloquence or poignancy or anything i don't need eloquence or poignancy i really also don't need you to hammer away the same things i want you to make it at least feel like these are two people talking to each other not like <laughs> not people reading the lines off the sheet yeah not like people looking at a cue card off camera or something like that it's did you did you have a line i did today? not i did not look up a line but it's just you want to ad lib something for us real quick I, I think you should. I'll 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 pull it up and take a look I at him here do. as we talk yeah, about it. Yeah, I'd like it. to hear that. But um, but yeah, no, I mean honestly, like, and the thing is, I think that all three of us are pretty real realistic with our expectations for any given specific type of movie. Yeah. None of us are going to go into a good day that I hard to expect watching Argo. It's not the same and, kind of movie. And I will say, after hearing that people just utterly hated this film, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I was going no, to. No, this is actually. one where it, where it was like anti-hype. Yeah. You know what I mean? It yep. was like, oh my god, I'm going to hate this. And it was like, eh, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Yeah. And I do think that, that if Bruce Willis actually cared, there would be some genuine chemistry between him and him and uh, Jai Courtney, but there's you know, yeah. there's not... I don't know. Much, much like this selection of the of the uh, of the screen of the screenplay here that I'd like to go through. Yeah, this is um, good. This is an exchange between uh, John McClane, Bruce Willis, and his son Jack McClane. Yeah, and uh, I, we talked about me maybe doing this as uh, as Stallone, but I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try a Bruce Willis. You gonna try bit. it? Yeah. Are I'm you gonna, gonna do Bruce Willis for both characters? You want me to fill in for one of them? I, I want try. you to be Jack. I'll be Jack McClane. Okay. okay. We're gonna okay. do this right now. This this is like 
after a shootout, I believe. No, no, no. This is this is right before a shootout. Right before a shootout. This is this is when all the all scenes in this movie are either before or after a shootout. <laughs> well, just, yeah. you know, anytime somebody talks. This is this is when the old Russian dude is going to meet his daughter and get the key. Oh, okay. And and this is right beforehand, and and the tension is building, and you can tell something was wrong from like the first time the elevator doors open or whatever. But this is one of the moments that they that they take out just to just to share and help you learn a little bit about the McLean family. So yeah. here we go. You need a hug. We're not a hugging family. It's damn straight. <laughs> well, do one more. All right. Well, we'll go with. Um, I, I and there's so many good lines in this movie. That yeah, there's there's really a lot. I to, think you should do Stallone voice though. <laughs> I feel like I want to hear this channeled through the voice of Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> as only Sylvester could provide us. All right, all right I'm gonna go with the with the this this good one right here, which was one of the lines that actually made me get a laugh. Yeah, out of it's it. kind of clever. He discovers, but, of course, that his son is a, a CIA operative. Yeah, that he wasn't a criminal caught up in all this underworld stuff. Well, he was, but he was actually working for the government. Yeah, for Cole Hauser, who has a pointless cameo in this movie. <laughs> all right. So this is this is Stallone. This is this is John McClane as read by Stallone. Double seven of Plainfield, New Jersey. <laughs> it's it's so just good. like none of these quotes are even long and like the that's the thing is that there's not even like monologues or anything about why these people are doing what they're doing. No. There's like there's it's, it's a bunch of weird one liners and whatnot. Yeah, and it's just even the IMDB page of the quotes is like seven times shorter than any other film that you're gonna see but yeah it's uh, overall for me it's it's i can't say it's a disappointment because to be completely fair for the most part the series hasn't hasn't shot up you know in quality yeah um, as it's been going on i mean i think like we were talking about three was certainly a spike in quality yeah after two but it, for the most part, it's gone downhill, and well, I, I don't think *Live Free or Die Hard* was. Uh, like I guess I'm not trying to say it's a great movie because it's not, but I didn't think it was horrible. I think this is worse. Well, here's here's something that I kind of thought about on the way over here, which is what I was thinking as this movie was being made. Was this a good vehicle to to transition to Jack McClane, John McClane Jr. as the star of *Old Habits Die Hard*? <laughs> like. What do you guys think in that in that sense? I know Nick was talking about it. I mean, I think Jack Courtney's got some some decent charisma. He's got the action I mean, chops. He's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think he's cool. I think he could be he could be an interesting action star. He'd fit well in 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 you know alongside Jason Statham in a Jason Statham movie or something. You know, yeah. I mean, he'd do well in that. Um, but I don't I don't think that. This is really a passing the torch movie. Do you do you feel like they put Jack McClane in a position that made you feel the same way about John McClane in the first film? Absolutely not. No. No. I mean, I mean, the thing is, you, no, I don't. There were these were not insurmountable odds. Really, I didn't feel like they were. Yeah. You know, I I think that there's a difference between insurmountable odds in the first one, in the sense of of being cut off, like I said, from resources. And yeah. I mean, the guy doesn't have shoes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to. I want to seriously like hammer that this point fact home. here. Yeah, I'm gonna hammer it home like this movie does. Um, whereas this one, yeah, he's cut off from his resources essentially in the CIA and whatnot. But but yet he doesn't need these resources because apparently he can just drive across the tops of cars that people are in. Yeah, it doesn't really. I mean, that's the thing is is when you're a superhero, it's the same. It's funny enough the same way I feel about the Resident Evil movies, is that the first. 
the first movie is it's not a great movie, but it was entertaining, and I I yeah. I have watched it a few times and I enjoy it still, um, because I think that the characters or the the main lead character Miljovich is not overly you feel like she's in danger. Yeah. And then as they go on, gradually it's just like, well, she can shoot fire out of her eyes. What's, what's <laughs> why am I afraid for her? So yeah. it, it loses, you know, and I think these movies are doing the same thing. It, it loses a sense of, I'm just expecting to John McClane to grow wings and start flying around. And you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. doesn't, it's not, I don't know. He's not an everyman anymore. He's a superhero. Yeah. And I miss that he doesn't have hair, like the receding hairline. I'm not going to lie, I really do. And I know that sounds silly, but... No, I he, thought that too. He's just Bruce Willis now. Yeah. And, and there's no differentiating him. Uh, they really tried to remind you that he's John McClane in this movie by giving him the little lines like, Oh, son of a... I'm on vacation. Oh, son of a gun. Oh, god damn. You know, like, like complaining <laughs> about it and stuff, because that's what John McClane does. But it's so forced every single this. Every single time, it's, I'm on vacation. Yeah, and any chance... Any, any time he's on screen by himself, he's saying something to... Muttering something to himself about being annoyed with the situation. Well, yeah, but that's not how you... You don't need to... If, you're, if you need to remind us that this is John McClane, that's not good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. So, um, I think we'll kind of segue this into the cheese for thought in the sense of, uh, there's a lot of stuff here that we didn't really get to, but I feel like we're kind of all over the place. So I actually just had an interesting thought because of what you said about this movie doesn't, does by no means feel like it's objective was to set up a new diehard saga with Jack McClane as the protagonist at all. But I was just thinking when you mentioned, uh, John being like so over the top and like driving the car over all the cars yeah. and all that stuff. The whole movie, like he's doing all this wildly over the top crap. Um, and Jack, like it almost does feel in a way like it is a diehard movie for Jack because he's the one who keeps getting injured. He's the one who keeps getting set back from his objectives. He's the one who has to deal with all this crap because technically, like John, John's just another obstacle. He is. Maybe yeah. he's yeah. He's the annoying. John he's the annoying sidekick in this one. Up in this movie because like, and that's part of the reason why I don't think. I mean, obviously, a lot of the dialogue is really banal and just like pointless, but a lot of it does sort of ring true because like if I hated my dad and I was in the middle of like an op and he made me late for my extraction, getting out of the country, I'd be really pissed at him <laughs> the whole time. And that it seemed like almost he was almost telling you at the part where they were in like that little uh, indoor shopping mall area when they fled the safe house. It almost seemed like he was basically telling John like, "Okay, you can walk away now. Like you can get away scot free. No one's coming after you." Yeah. And I wonder if it'd be interesting to watch the movie from the perspective of pretending that Je- John is never actually there and he's just a figment of, or John's <laughs> never there and he's just a figment of Jack's imagination the whole time, because. I'm trying what? to think of any direct moments. It's the where Fight Club of yes! Die Hard. I'm trying to think of if there are any moments. Spoiler where alert! It turns out John McClane's really dead. And he's been dead for years. And they never got to rekindle. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if there's a specific moment where something John does is so directly impacting Jack that it had to be John. Pulling out the the rebar. Yeah, I mean, like all those moments, <laughs> it could be Jack just doing all that crap himself. Or... Oh my goodness! <laughs> I'm not, that's, we can't. Do He's this. just so insane from having a broken family that his dad so is. We can't a, even be fun to this. watch it with that perspective, <laughs> guys. Now I'm thinking about all these scenes between the two of them and all the meaningful father-son moments, and I'm like, 
we did have any to, of this really this happen? Is David Fincher movie, guys. You, you need, you need to re-edit the trailer to make it look like that, and then that will be an ad for the Midwest Film Nerds podcast. I'm just saying, like, now that I'm going over the whole movie, all the events in my head, I'm like, anything, any crazy, like, impactful moments... Like, John's always just there. It's always Jack was who's the impetus. He's the one who has the knife and frees himself. I don't oh know, man. Oh, my gosh. Don't do this. We can't think deeper into this film, guys. Can't do it. No. I don't know. I, it's right. funny, though. It is really funny. I, I'm really going to seriously think about this. You're going to go see the theater again just, just to do this? No, just take notes. Here. <laughs> no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Oh, whenever boy. it comes out, I want to watch it again with that, with that perspective. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't completely hate it. I thought it had some, it had some fun moments in it. Because it felt like they were acknowledging... I mean, in a way, the writing was the worst of all of them, the dialogue, but... I don't know. It had some... At least it seemed like it knew it was crazy, and it knew John McClane was, was a pain in the ass. Because if you even think about the first movie, John McClane's a really annoying person. He's not very, like... He's, he's not easy to get along he's with. Really, yeah, he's really irritating. In this movie, I felt like a lot of the time, I was kind of like, damn, he is really irritating because his son's, like, trying to do work and his dad's showing up and just totally throwing a wrench in everything all day long. Well, let's just... let's just. Uh, it almost felt more like a Jack movie than a John movie. Let's observe that linchpin of your son is deep cover in Russia for the CIA and you can... Your buddy at the police force can find out where he's been. That's what I'm saying. Under his actual name. What? <laughs> well, and somebody else that when I read a review before I saw the movie, somebody mentioned how John McClane just causes millions of rubles of collateral damage yeah. throughout this movie, and I'm like, yeah, John McClane was very non-John McClane-ish the whole movie. Let, let, okay, can you imagine a headline where you wake up tomorrow and you hear about some American dude going over to Russia and killing people by driving over their cars? That's why the whole movie feels like fantasy to me, and I don't really care because I'm like that early into it, I was like. This movie is so insane, I'm not even going to bother. It's just, it's so, so far from what it used to be. So let's let's think about what would we do to put Die Hard back on track. As of now? Or it's what would we have done pointless. in the past? What would you have done in the past, or what would you do now? We, okay, if we're talking, that's, that's okay. Well, I think pointless. we can pretend that the first no. three happened. Sure. Can we do that? Sure. And then pretend, okay. So we're getting Brian Singer to do Days of Future Die Hard and <laughs> Dies of Future Day Hard. <laughs> um, no, I uh, I don't know. It's 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 tricky because there there are there are certainly obvious choices. It would be you cast somebody new as John McClane. I don't think that would work personally. No. Um, you cast a, a younger guy as a new character in the Die Hard franchise with no John McClane. Jack McClane. Oh wait, they didn't do that very well. Uh, I, I think I think that is a better option. I think the best option is is simply you keep the John McClane character, but you you find ways to put him in situations that are not so over the top. You know, I mean, I you find and you find ways to. I think I think the the thing the basic things a Die Hard movie needs are John McClane. Cut off from resources because that's the that's the main thing for me that I think is interesting is that he has to figure out ways to he's not a stupid guy no you know he needs to so cut off from his resources facing some sort of unique either terrorist plot or heist or something something that that's a that has a little bit of a different spin on it than your typical you know your typical plot villain plot and cast a really really esteemed actor. And the villain role. Daniel Day-Lewis. 
somebody really whip smart and that can play well off of John McClane's brutish. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that can that that can be super annoyed when his meticulous, educated, like plan goes awry by the freaking cowboy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's 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 where the fun is. If you if you follow that pattern, I think it works well. I mean, I personally like thinking about it. One of the points that I wanted to get across is that like Die Hard Two. It's literally about a team of like ex-U.S. military people capturing an extradited terrorist to get him back out of the country from an airport. Like, where do you go from bank heist to extradited extradited national that, like... Yeah. Like... That's that's why the jump from from Die Hard to Die Hard with a Vengeance makes more sense to me because you've got the connections to the Hans Gruber. Gruber. Yeah. You've also just got a bigger bank heist. Essentially, it's it's the same plot, but it's it's very. That's what I'm saying. There's a different spin on it, and it's a larger scale too. And, Which a sequel should be. And it and it worked. It worked. I mean, we we we're seeing here in the effects of Live Free or Die Hard and Die Hard, A Good Day to Die Hard that this escalation where it's like we need to go bigger and better every single time is just I think that that's a mistake. It's a mistake. It's a Absolutely. total mistake and and that's that's the thing that's like I feel like you know obviously it worked with Die Hard and Die Hard 2 to some extent and Die Hard with a Vengeance. But my idea for like the Die Hard series would have been to be like okay, we're done with John McClane after Die Hard with a Vengeance. We're doing a somewhat reboot, kind of, but not really. It's not even this dude's not even Sean McClane. Get an character. action star. Get somebody you want to be an action star, and put them in the same circumstances that you're saying. Put them in a crazy situation where they have no resources, where they maybe normally should have resources, and just have them go about trying to completely wreck. Like that's like distill it down to the most simple parts of Die Hard, which is yes, you have this character that is John McClane. But there are some other people that could be entertaining in that part. You could, I mean, you could, you could create a character that's as long as it's not a carbon copy. Yeah, that's the important thing. Is is there are certain things that make John McClane appealing as a character, and I don't, I wouldn't want to see those replicated by I don't, another. I don't want to see a Jason Statham Die Hard movie where he's basically just. I mean, he's boring. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I mean, I don't hate Jason. I think when Jason Statham tries, he's great, but. He's, he's relatively boring in everything he does. And, and, I mean, I think you would need to find somebody who maybe isn't the typical action star. Yeah. That's another thing. If you really look at Bruce Willis, even in his prime, he's not the typical action star. He's not Schwarzenegger. He's not Stallone. Yeah, he's not He's not he's super not buff. He's not and buff and ripped and jacked yeah. or anything. Uh, even, I mean, even in the first Die Hard, he's not, I mean, he's not the most in-shape guy on the planet. No. You know, he looks like he's probably sat on the couch with a lazy boy once or twice and watched bad cop shows, you know, and ate potato chips. He's not... He's the everyman. Yeah. And they would need to find somebody... But who is the equivalent of that today? Is it that's, an unknown? That's the thing, is that you'd probably have to make a new action star in the sense that they used to back in the day. Like, you had these movies that came out and made action stars. I think they would be smart to go with somebody, like you guys had mentioned earlier, like Aaron Paul. Somebody new. Somebody who's young, up and coming, maybe has had a few things under their belt. But you wouldn't necessarily see as the action star right out of the gate. Yeah. 
but somebody who would be believable enough to like they could probably pull it off surviving this if they really wanted to. Well, Chris Pratt. I mean, Guardians somebody of the like, Galaxy sure. was sure somebody like that, and that's a good choice. Somebody that you don't necessarily see as he. If they were to do that, what you're saying, and and kind of reboot the Die Hard franchise with a new central protagonist, at least for a couple movies. It would need to be somebody... And th- that's the thing, is that I don't even know if I would say for a couple of movies. Like, what if the Die Hard series was five movies with five different protagonists that were in very similar situations, but they were all different in a lot of varying ways? That could be cool. Like, I mean, it'll never happen. No. Which is unfortunate. I mean, I, I, think, that, I think that that's something that um, has been tried before, but un- unfortunately there's a huge, huge fan demand a lot of the times for why isn't John McClane in this? I mean, well, yeah. Look at This is a very different series. Look at the Halloween franchise. They made Halloween 2 and the idea was after that was John Carpenter had said I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. I want this to be a series of, a series of movies with the Halloween title that are all different scary stories. Mm-hmm. Very cool in theory. You know, because you could have one come out each year and it's a little different. Yeah. And those can continue on for who knows how long. But then as soon as Halloween 3 came out, everybody was, where's Michael Myers? Yeah. Why is this isn't a Halloween movie? So, yeah. unfortunately, the the studio gets kind of trapped into... It's the same issue that Nintendo's having, but we can talk <laughs> about that on another podcast. But they get trapped. You know, they really do. They. Yeah. All right. We're, we're running long, which I didn't think would happen. I don't know if we want to move on to Cheese for Thought right now, or... If we have any more thoughts about Die Hard that we really want to wrap up, it's... Uh, what, what is everybody's grade for Die Hard 5, real quick? I'd give it a C. I would give it a D. Nick? Uh, probably a C plus. Yeah. B minus-ish. I, I it's like just... Some of the, it's, I like some parts of it. Yeah, there's, there's some entertaining moments, but it's largely... It fails as a Die Hard movie, and... I don't think there was any really middle. Either the parts that... the part, At least from my perspective, either I thought stuff was really awesome, or I thought it was really derpy. Like, there it was, was mostly I legitimately thought was awesome. There were a few shots that I was like, that's awesome. The yeah. final shot of them jumping out the window and flipping off the helicopter as it went by, I was just shaking my head going, that's funny and that's ridiculous and it's awesome. And it followed them down and just, it looked cool. And I wanted to say, one of the things that I did respect about it was that you, there was the moment where they stumble upon who is now the actual villain, but he acts as though he's innocent in the same sense that you get that with Hans Gruber in the first movie. Mm-hmm. There's some I parallels thought, towards the end. I thought that was cool. And then they took it too far when Jack gets his own Hans Gruber moment and tosses the guy off of the top of the building. And I, I was, was like, cool. that's too much. And then he gets hit by the by the helicopter blade. And I was like, okay, well, that that's awesome. pretty ridiculous. And plus it didn't, I like that it didn't, it didn't take them too long to figure out that there was something off. Yeah. Like, that, they didn't really waste, they were both kind of like, wait. That was nice. It, they didn't take it too far where he could pull a gun on them. And, I mean, realistically, they would have killed the guy. Yeah. So it didn't, yeah. Yeah. It was, I don't know, it was very weird. There were lots of things about it I liked, and a lot of things I thought were... Production-wise, I thought they were all, it was really strong, actually. That I, Maybe that's why I liked the chase scene so much. There were so many camera moves where I was like, Jesus Christ, this would be so hard to do. I mean, te- technically, there's some very cool that stuff. Zoom lens, the zoom lens they had for the chase scene, I was like, holy God. I mean, there's one guy controlling the zoom. There's one guy pulling focus from this to that. Like There were one or two shots in particular where I was like... That's in, that's hard. This this <laughs> that's sweet. This movie's much more technically proficient than Live Free or Die Hard ever was. There were a lot of moments I was really impressed by the production. A lot of the the car crashes were not CGI. I was like yeah. that timing of that 
like the old fashioned yeah. stunt work. I was like, that's sweet. Although everything I saw in the Fast Six trailer preceding that movie looked off more awesome <laughs> than the movie I watched. <laughs> yeah. Just throw I mean, that just out like there. Crashing, crashing that big, the truck that was carrying the big cement thing, like splitting that in yeah. half of the truck. I was like, that was awesome. <laughs> I don't know, it wasn't a big bomber being taken down by a bunch of cars and then a big car bursting through the front of it with a bunch no, of flames. I'm not saying that movie doesn't look sweet. I'm, I'm just kidding. Guys, let's just review the Fast 6 trailer. <laughs> things, For the were... next 30 minutes, we'll be reviewing the Fast 6 trailer. Because it's awesome. I mean, I'm just going to throw in my 30 seconds to 60 seconds of what you said about where how you could reboot the Die Hard franchise or how you could enhance it. or. Carry it. We'll save the cheese for thought, so take take three I minutes. I don't think it's possible. I think this movie is the only option. I think you either just nuke the franchise and kill it, or you just take it to a place of such insanity that it's not even Die Hard anymore. Because otherwise, there's no point. I mean, trying to replicate the old Die Hard movie with John McClane would be stupid. Yeah. Like, I think you should post on the website, if you haven't seen it already, from the Ben Stiller show, there's a sketch that was Die Hard 21 or something like that. And they posted it on Slash Film on the review. I saw it. I didn't watch it, though. Watch it, because it basically reinforces everything. The reason that another Die Hard movie similar to the first slash second can't exist with John McClane being an old person, because it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's the same reason, like, this movie, if you're going to have John McClane be in it, it has to be so far over the top, you can't even accept it as remotely plausible. And I think... Because he's an old man. I think there is worth in the diehard name without John McClane. I think if they had taken this movie and made it strictly about Jack McClane being in similar circumstances and being, like, stuck in Russia, like, what do I do? And if he, like, somehow got a phone and called John and was like, hey, what the hell do I do? That would have been kind of cool. If John McClane had almost played like a Hannibal Lecter-y type role, like reinforcing someone, that would have been, been very neat. cool, actually. Or if Jack had been trapped in a building like Nakatomi, or even somebody not even a McClane, and they're like, we need, like, oh, remember when this happened at Nakatomi Plaza back in, like, 81? And they're like, dude, call up John McClane. Like, he made it through that shit, and no one should have. And, like, have him come out on the yeah. street and then be like, yeah, we need... Like that—that that would be the only way I'd see it working. But making a John McClane-centric movie, this maybe this is the reason I liked this one better than four was that Jack shared half the screen time, and it felt like there was another character who this crap was happening to, and like it felt like with Live Free, Justin Long was kind of along for his ride, whereas in this movie it was kind of like they're both in deep shit now. Yeah, Jack more so than John because John can just be like, well. I'm not even really here, so... I'm on vacation. vacation. Yeah. And Jack can be like, I'm, I'm just hunted. a figment of your imagination. I'm hunted by the Russian everybody now. That might have been cool, actually. I, now that you're saying it, and now I'm wishing it would have happened, to see what if you saw John McClane in the Al Powell role from... Right. Where exactly. he's, like, sitting outside the building, like, dude, talk to me. Like, let me help yeah. you get out of this. This is what you do in this circumstance. That could have like, been a weirdly cool full circle thing, almost. Yeah. But... Perhaps we'll see it. I, I mean, I, I would hazard a guess that we're probably going to get one more Die Hard movie. Yeah, and, I think, yeah. I think he's probably got one more in him before he... Because if, if, if his lack of caring in this one is any indication, <laughs> he's probably not going to want to do anything more than that. But yeah. they need to either take it to a place where John McClane is strictly in a supporting role and Jack takes the reins and then there's no more Die Hard. Or somebody else takes the reins. Or it needs to be so berserkly over the top that it's just a full-on cartoon like this one he's fighting dragons and stuff yeah yeah (laughs) goes through time (laughs) it's looper (laughs) just make looper with with john mcclain he closes the loop all right 
I would be totally. I would honestly be down to see a Jai Courtney led Die Hard movie with John in the in a supporting role. I, I didn't. It could turn out well, but I, I wish this movie. Guy. I wish it was a better transition. Yeah, to Yeah, I it. wish this had been stronger so that that would have been a little bit more sure. Yeah, I, it would give me more faith. I would be excited for Old Habits Die Hard if, <laughs> you know, but, you know, it'd be cool if they kind of. Reined it in and brought it down to a more serious place, though, because this whole movie, the whole time, I was like, it's just fun. It's just yeah. a silly movie. And, and real quick, if they're gonna make it ridiculous, if they're just gonna go there, I'm gonna suggest something real quick. Just freaking bring Hans Gruber back from the dead. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. seriously. Does anybody care? I think mean, honestly, if that's the route they're gonna go, just be like, yeah, we he's cloned him. He, no, <laughs> he no, he's been he's he he's somehow survived the fall and has been recovering in some sort of government think tank for. The last, you know, or, some odd years. Or he's, it's, or it's he's, yeah, Max Gruber. You said <laughs> yes, Max the Gruber, brother. the third Gruber brother. Alan, Rick, Alan awesome. Rickman back. The twin. If I saw a hint of Alan Rickman in a Die Hard trailer, I'd be there, I'd be there day one. <laughs> but so, take note. All right. Well, I think we're gonna close it out. We'll save the cheese for thought because it's really good off of any sort of conversation. It's a, it's a good topic to talk about for yeah, some extended amount of time. time yeah it's starting to become kyle xy yeah yeah, yeah. the real kyle xy which we didn't get to yeah. tonight either but anyway um music and artwork were made for us by Mr. john on twitter who is my brother uh twitter accounts at johnny1703 for me at hemowiliak for me and uh nick lovell <laughs> nick <I'm, laughs> yeah nick um <laughs> And then send comments, feedback, uh, food for thought questions, which we're never going to read, apparently, because we don't do those anymore, at, uh, to, to feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com. But uh, I think that's about it. So uh, we're going to take a break next week because I'm going to be out of town. But uh, I'm hoping that we'll be back for uh, Oz the Great and Powerful uh, after the, I think it comes out on the 8th because your birthday is on a Saturday. So, um, so we'll be back on march 12th 13th one of those days the wednesday of that week and uh we'll talk to you then but until then go on (laughs) yeah damn you john damn you you, john movies Thank you.